You really didn't have to th- sing happy birthday to me. No, I mean, you really didn't have to do that. <laughs> but I encourage you to pull out your uh, connection card and, um, if, and uh, please take a minute and fill that out. If you are a guest with us here today, this is a, uh, a way for us to get in touch with you this week and just welcome you to the church. After the service, you can simply just leave that on the pew where you're seated and the ushers will come around and pick that up. In way of announcements, first of all, uh, we apologize for the screen. That has been guaranteed to be up and working by next week. Uh, so, uh, that, so that is being taken care of. A couple of announcements in terms of uh, activities. First of all, the gathering today, which is College Young Adult Group, is meeting at 1.30. Uh, this one didn't get in there, but I want to make mention of it. Uh, next Sunday is our Young Marrieds Group, and we will meet um, uh, 2 o'clock at uh, Chelsea in my house. And uh, if you're interested in coming to that, uh, let me know so I can give you an address if you don't already know. A um, couple other things. Children's Ministry Sleepover, uh, July 17th and 18th. So that is for all the kids and their parents to come and to uh, sleep over. We'll set up tents in the, in the grassy area over here by the education building and have a, good, have a lot of fun uh, together for a night. Keep in mind that Pastor Rick is on sabbatical, so please pray for Pastor Rick and Amy. And then also I'll make mention just the Advent uh, calendars, or the Advent devotional, I mean. Um, we seem to be talking a lot about Christmas today. It's only mid-June, but these are things that take some time to plan. And so if you are interested in uh, either giving some artwork or a, or a writing, that would be uh, awesome. You can, you can um, do that and contact Amy Iwanaga concerning that. Anyone here affected by the wildfires that's been going on the last couple weeks? Uh, We've had these fires above Azusa and Duarte. I know Bill and Tomoko were evacuated from their house for a couple days, and they're back at home. But but these fires are kind of crazy. Seems like it's becoming an annual event. That just it's so dry. And it's so hard to get under control. And th- at last I heard, and I asked Bill, because uh, I'm sure he's on top of this, but even these fires that are close to us, they say, are still only 30% contained. And uh, over 5,000 acres have been burned. Fortunately, no homes have been burnt. Uh, no homes uh, have burned down, in our area at least. There's been fires that are further, further south that, uh, that there have been some houses that have burned down. But have you ever noticed, when we talk about houses that, are, that would burn down, have you ever noticed that it seems like the most expensive houses are in the most dangerous areas? You think of the, the houses that are built up on the mountain, and then you go the other direction, and you go down to the coast, and you've got all these houses that are built right on the beach, and these are the most expensive houses, and yet there are always, uh, there's a danger of wildfires, and then down at the beach there's always danger of a flooding or a storm that could come in. Whenever I am down at the coast, it seems that half the houses right along the beach are, not half, I'm exaggerating, but a lot of the houses are always being worked at, being worked on, because that ocean breeze comes in and it causes stuff to rust and rot. And you wonder, is it worth it? <laughs> you know, these expensive houses, what's the... But you know what? Why would anyone pay that, the, that kind of money for... 
these homes in dangerous areas? It has to be for the views, right? It's for the views. Uh, you, wouldn't it be great to sit out on your balcony and watch the sun go down over the Pacific Ocean or have a house up on the mountainside where you can just see all of the valley? Once in a while, I go to a retreat center in Sierra Madre, and um, they keep raising the cost on me, so I'm not going anymore. But when I have gone and I stay overnight, uh, I ask for the corner room because it has a big window that, looks, that overlooks the whole value. And I push the bed away from the window and pull my re- the recliner right up, and, and I sit there all night. And I love the lights overlooking the valley, and then you can see all the way into L.A. You see the city skyline, and it's beautiful. It's very peaceful and relaxing. And so I start, so I tell this illustration because I want us to think about it. Is it worth it? Are the views worth the dangers that are involved in living in these kind of areas? Our psalm that this morning that we're going to look at, Psalm 124, talks about a life that is full of danger and risks and has a lot of risks. Talks about this life of faith that is a risky business. And so I want us to ask the question, if, if the life of faith, if life following Jesus is risky, is it worth it? We have to count the cost. There are difficulties. In walking, following Jesus is not always just a walk in the park. There are difficulties. There is sacrifice. There are things that God asks from us. And, it is, and this psalm paints in very vivid pictures a life that is full of danger. A life that has threats around us. And so we have to ask ourselves, before we just jump into this, we have to really wrestle with this question. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Jesus asked this question. When those that come to follow him uh, uh, want, want to give their lives to, to him, and they, he always asks, is it worth it? You have to count the cost. For example, in Luke uh, 14, it says, Which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not f- first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all those who see him... Uh, begin it, will mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So he gives this analogy. You're going to look like a fool if you don't count the cost. What are you getting yourself into? He, gives, he goes on to give a second analogy. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, While the other is still a long ways off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. And now here's the point that Jesus is making, verse 33 of Luke 14. He says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be one of my disciples. Wow, what a word. uh, Anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be one of my disciples. Many people turned away from following Jesus. If you read through the Gospels with your eye towards those that become followers of Jesus, you will notice that many people turn away because it is too difficult. And it makes me wonder that if we are not not, uh, really presenting the the real uh, riskiness 
of following Jesus if we're truly presenting the, uh, the message that Christ taught his followers. And so in summary, and again, I'll try to be careful with our fill-in-the-blanks because we don't have the, uh, the slides. In summary, Jesus challenges us to count the costs of living for him. Why? Because it is risky business to live by faith. And so in today's sermon, we will talk about what the risks are, first of all, and secondly, we'll come back to that question of if it's worth it. Because if it's worth it, we need to know why. What's the motivation? I'm a big believer in that unless we know the motivation, unless we, know, unless we have a vision of the life that God is calling us to live, or actually a vision for any kind of life, we will not have the motivation to pursue that. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, if this is the type of life that is being described in Psalm 124, is it worth it? So let's look at this passage. Psalm 124, this is our next psalm in our series on the songs of ascent. It reads this way. A song of ascents of David. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us, when their anger flared up against us, then we would have been swallowed alive. I'm sorry, I lost my place here. Let me, uh, if, if the Lord had not been on our side when men attacked us, when their anger flared up against us, then they, then they would have been swallowed us alive. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be, uh, has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Quite the dramatic pictures that we have painted here. Before we talk about this, let's just go before the Lord and ask for his help as we consider these things together. Father God, we thank you that your word is true and that you love us so much. We thank you that as this psalm teaches us in the midst of all of these dangers, that you are our help. And I pray that you would calm our hearts now and help us to focus on what you would have for us today. We know that I I am sure that there are many of us who are in this room that feel that we can identify with this psalm. Man, there are pressures all around. There is difficulty around us. and And we just come before you, God, and we pray that you would reassure us with these words that you are on our side, that you are our help. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The message of this psalm is clear. It lays it out very uh, distinctly here in verse 1. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, let, uh, if the Lord had not been on our side. It's repeated two times for emphasis. God is on our side is the main point of this passage. And then we have this little parenthetical phrase, let all Israel declare. It kind of reminds me of like a worship leader that says, come on now, here's the chorus. Let's really sing it out. The Lord is on our side. And so we have this message that God is with us, that he's on our team, that he gives us the victory. It concludes in verse 8 by saying, Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So this is a psalm about God being on our side, God being a a help to us. 
And it describes the type of help that God rescues us from. It gives several images. It talks about it talks uh, here about how people rose up against us, that their anger was kindled against us. I want to highlight three uh, images that I think are especially vivid. One is that it says that we were swept over by torrential floodwaters. Look at verses 4 and 5. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. What comes to mind are these pictures of like the tsunami that hit Japan and then Indonesia a couple years ago. Remember this? Just these massive floodwaters. When it happened, the ocean had receded several hundred yards out from where the coastline would have been. And people were wandering out in the ocean just wondering, wow, look at this. I've never been able to walk out here before. And they're looking at the ground and then all of a sudden the water rushes in. And so many people were killed. It goes way beyond the banks and whole cities were destroyed. Gives you quite the image of this idea of danger. And, we have, and maybe you have felt this way as well. How many of you have said, man, I'm up to here with this person? Or feel like, I feel like I'm drowning in all my troubles in life. And, and it's the idea that we're overwhelmed by the difficulties around us. A second image it talks about is being caught in a predator's mouth. Verse 6, Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Caught in a predator's mouth. I get this image of like a wolf that picks up a little mouse in the grass and ready to chomp on it and and suffocate it to the death. It's kind of a gruesome picture, right? Kind of gross. But this is the picture that it creates for us. How many of us have felt the pressures coming on, in on all sides? Felt like we were about to suffocate. It's just all around us. And I think this is where anxiety lives and depression lives. And sometimes we wonder, is there any way out? You felt the sadness of loss and pain and heartache. And it feels that, that these pressures are like, like they're uh, crushing us on all sides. And then ensnared in the fowler's trap. The third one here is in verse 7. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. The idea, uh, I'm not a trapper, but I can imagine some sort of like little cage that a bird gets into and it can't escape unless someone lets it out or unless it's broken. And that's the, that's the idea here. Man, we get caught in these things and we wonder how are, how are we ever going to get out. And the hope is, from this passage, the, the, the hope is that God will rescue us. But the life of faith is not always easy. There are dangers. There is a riskiness to it. How is the life of faith risky? Well, first of all, the Bible says very clearly that there is a war that is being waged all around us in the invisible realms. That there is a battle between Satan and God, between good and evil. Things that we can't see with the natural eyes, but with our natural eyes, but with our, with our eyes of faith, we know that there are, there are always being t- attacks uh, launched again, uh, against us. And if we live the life of faith, I can guarantee you, Satan will not take that lightly. And he will try to throw us off track. 
So one of the reasons the life of faith can be difficult is because of this spiritual battle that we are in. And another, and this is what I want to really focus in on this morning, just practically speaking, one of the reasons that the life of faith is difficult is because we are called to live with one another. We are not called just to live an isolated life of faith. If we keep ourselves in in a bubble, we can keep ourselves pretty insulated kind of keep ourselves from not being hurt by others. But that is not the Christian life. God has called us that when we come to faith, we enter into a community. Remember how we marched around the sanctuary somewhat successfully last week? <laughs> the point was to, make, to show that we are in this together. That we are brothers and sisters in Christ. The person that sits to your right and the person that sits to your left, these This is your family. And for our family, we come alongside of one another. But that means that we travel with them not only in the highs, but in the lows. And if we are brothers and sisters in Christ to one another, there are times where we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death with each other. And these are the dangerous things. Because if we get get involved in one of... In one another's lives, we are bound to get messy sometimes. We are bound to get dirty. But this is the life that God has called us to live. This is where God's heart is. We know that God's heart is on the side of those who are going through difficulty. And so we are called to journey with And I'll give three examples here, and we could come up with others. But we are called to journey with the anxious, the depressed, and the sad. The anxious, the depressed, and the sad. One of the most difficult times in my life, and I'll I'll be thankful for this for the rest of my life. There was a brother uh, of, of mine, a brother in Christ, who came alongside of me and Walked with me through that low, that low point in my life. And I, was for, I, will, I will forever be thankful. We need people in our lives that are going to come alongside of us in one way or another. And we could think of all kinds of examples. I don't need to brainstorm uh, with you along these lines. We know uh, those. We have journeyed with people in our lives. And it's difficult. It's hard. We pray for them and we seek to help them. But it can be time-consuming. It can be emotionally draining. But this is the heart of God and this is who we are called to journey with. A second uh, group we could name are the poor and the oppressed. Did you know that Jesus is always on the side of the poor and the oppressed? That is his heart. John the Baptist sat in prison wondering if this person, Jesus, was the Messiah, the one who had come and us. Uh, And he thought he had prepared the way, but this person was very different than who he had anticipated. So he sent a messenger saying, are you the one or should we expect someone else? And Jesus said, go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. This is the heart of Jesus that we would reach out to the poor and the oppressed. Paul had the same heart. He said in Galatians 20, verse 10, All they asked that we would do would be to continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. The very thing I was eager to do. How many of us are eager to remember the poor? I'm not always eager to remember the poor. At best, I'm willing. 
But God, but this is God's heart, and he calls us to journey alongside. Bono of the band YouTube, he's probably far from a great Christian saint, but he had this, but he had this right. He said, if you want to find Jesus, go to where the lepers are. Jesus is always hanging out with the lepers. And that's the truth. Jesus is call, calling us to hang out with the poor and the, and the oppressed, those that are struggling. And then thirdly, we are called to journey with those who are sick. Sometimes this is just very temporary, you know, writing even a thank you, or get a, writing a get well card. And sometimes this takes real commitment. Susan, well, I don't think Susan is here today, right? I haven't seen Susan, but Susan... She graduated with her master's degree and her, and her auntie got sick, went and lived with her auntie for a couple years, put a career on hold, but felt like that was what the Lord was calling her to do. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's really investing long term. Sometimes it's just going and visiting someone who is in the hospital. I dream of one day, and I think we've got a long ways to go until this happens, but getting a call from one of our shut-ins to say, Pastor Corey, can you just tell the people from the church to stop visiting me so much? They just come day after day. We're a long ways from that. It's easy to kind of put people out of our minds that we don't see regularly. But that's our call, to journey alongside of those who are struggling. Jesus tells this story at the end of his life. He says, one day we will all stand before him. All stand before the throne of judgment, and he will put some on his left and some on his right. Then the king will say, this is Matthew uh, 25, starting at verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. This is what we are called to. When we minister to those who are struggling, we are ministering to Jesus. And then Jesus goes on, and I won't take the time to read it, but he goes on to read the exact same list to those who are on his left. And they replied, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You see, when we take time to journey with others, these are investments in the kingdom of God. These are investments in the kingdom of God. We put so much time into temporary things. But what about the things that will last for eternity? Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where rust and moth do not destroy. But we store, up tre- we store up so many treasures, and these things are so fleeting. How are we going to store up treasures in heaven? Someone once told me, you store up treasures in heaven by investing in the lives of those who will be there. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I think of our children's workers. Some of them are over with the kids even now. 
And every week they give of their time to care for these little ones. Investing in the kingdom of God. And I think of, and I think of uh, people who have taken people into their homes in our church. Maybe for a meal, maybe even to live with them for a while. This is investing in the kingdom of God. I think of those in our church, many of us who have sought to give sacrificially to the needs of the church so that we can do the ministry that God has called us to do, so that we can send money to missionaries around the world. It's a sacrificial living, and sometimes there is some riskiness to it. It takes, some un- it takes us being a little bit uncomfortable, but this is investing in the kingdom of God. I think of those that once in a while I'll be eating lunch out here and someone's sitting by themselves. And I'll notice someone who could easily go and sit with their friends, but they go and sit with someone who's all by themselves. You never know what the difference in that, that's going to make in a person's life. We're investing in the kingdom of God, investing in the things that will last forever. One of the main reasons we have a home group ministry here at the church is because this is our opportunity to really get to know people, to sit down and talk about what's going on in your life, to pray for one another and to journey with one another through the highs and through the lows. And we're investing in one another. We're journeying alongside of one another. This is what it means to be the church, to fix our mind on the things that are eternal. In the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, it closes by saying, And now these three will remain. These three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So as the church, we act in faith. When we journey with those who are struggling, it is not always easy. But we believe in what we cannot see. We have hope. That God has a plan for every one of our lives. And even if it doesn't always turn out the way that we want, we have hope that God's plan is, is good and what is best for us and for those that we journey with. And then as Paul says, the greatest of these is love. If we are not characterized by love, man, we're not going to look like Jesus because Jesus is full of love. And so we lay love on the line without, a hope that, uh, without the expectation that we'll be loved back. We give sacrificially. As Jesus says, we give it all all that we have for one another. And this is a risky life. So why would anyone ever choose to live like this? Well, let me come back to our initial question. Why would anybody ever choose to build a a, a house on the mountainside or on the beach? It's because of the views, right? Right? Why would anyone ever choose to lay faith, hope, and love on the line and journey with those who are going through difficulty? I believe it's also because of the view. Because when we live with Jesus in this way, we see God. When we live with one another in this way, this is when we come to know the truth of a passage like this, that God is on our side. You see, God is on the side of the hurt and the struggling and the poor and the oppressed. And if we join him on on his side, we will come to know his strength through us. We will never know God being on our side if we do not seek to live the life that God has called us to live. And so God is calling us to move outside of our comfort zones at times, to live a life of faith. It's risky. It feels scary. It's dangerous. It takes time. 
It takes emotional energy. It's not always fun. I'll admit sometimes I'd rather just say, you know what, deal with your own problems. I'll deal with my problems. But that's not the life that Christ has called us to live. It is a life of journeying with others that makes it all worth it. I determined a long time ago that uh, I would try to never preach a sermon that I wasn't first trying to live out. And I'll admit, even as I look at, as I talk about these things, I feel like I've got a long ways to go in in these areas. And I'm convicted myself. But I can say with confidence that when I have sought to live a life of faith and hope and love and sacrifice towards others, that is when I have truly come to know God, to God, the God that is on my side, the God that is with me. I have said it over and over again, and this is the point of this passage, that the best life possible is a life that is lived with and for Jesus. That's what we're talking about when God is on our side. And so we're going to close with a little exercise, okay? I'm going to be the choir director here. Instead of saying, let all Israel say, I'm going to say, let all West Covina Christian Church say, and we're going to say, the Lord is on our side, okay? So that's your cue. I'm going to say, let all West Covina Christian Church uh, say, and we will all respond, the Lord is on our side. Okay, we ready? Here we go. Let all West Covina Christian Church say, the Lord is on our side. One more time. We've got to repeat it. That's what the psalm does. Let West Covina Christian Church say, the Lord is on our side. Boy, we've got to believe that. Amen? Boy, it's hard to do ministry without believing that God is on our side. It's hard to love somebody when, it's, when they're going through difficulty if the Lord is not on our If we don't have a belief that the Lord is on our side. Even as we think about, you know, pastoral transition, we're talking about a year and a half away. But we've got to have that confidence that the Lord is on our side. He really does want what is best for us. Man, I get goosebumps even thinking about that. But God really does love us. And he wants what's best for us. He's on our side. He has our best interests in mind. And my own prayer is that I would believe that in the depths of my heart and that I would act out on that in faith, hope, and love. And that's my prayer for all of us as a church that we would live lives of faith, hope, and love because we believe that God is on our side. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this passage. Boy, it's a beautiful passage. We have all these images of, of these dangers and the riskiness of, li- of the life of faith. But then the good news is that you are on our side that you are our helper, that you will rescue us from all of these things. And we are promised, though we might feel like it, we will not drown when we live by faith. We will not be crushed or overwhelmed. But though, that, though there is risk to it, God, we also know that the life of faith is worth it. We might not see it here on this earth, but we are ultimately living for the things that will last forever. We are setting our hearts and our mind on the things of eternity. And so God, embolden us uh, along these lines. As we embrace the truths of this passage, I pray that we as a church and we in our own individual lives would have confidence that God wants what is best for us. 
and that we would move in that direction, trusting you and your promises, that you love us, that you are on our side, that you are watching over us. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.